psychotic geeks obsessed with every little detail. It'll never get on the air. Well, I think it's good for a show to go off the air before it becomes stale and repetitive. I've just been informed that we are going off the air. Off air with Emily and Catra. What? <laughs> to turn the mics on. LOL. LOL, 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 That smells really good. Thanks, it's fucking delicious. Yeah? Yeah. Are you, are you like, really excited about the keto stuff now? Or are you going to be like that? I just was tired of eating chicken. Yeah. And I saw this carnita, like, pre-made carnita meat mm-hmm. in Kroger's deli section. Yeah, I've had that. So I picked it up because it sounded good. Mm-hmm. And we had carnitas for dinner last night, and I made some jalapenos because I just really wanted some cheese-stuffed jalapenos. It's really cute that you say jalapeno. <laughs> I'm so okay. I'm just kidding. Maybe it's fucking stupid. How's I'm just that? kidding. <laughs> Guess what? I'm about two days away from my period, too, Emily. So it's let's okay. fight. <laughs> it's okay. I'm going to unzip my makeup bag. That's fine. Oh, yes. Yeah. Satisfaction. Hi. Hey. <laughs> I don't want to put eyeliner on, but I have a remote later. I'll be outside, though. I could probably just wear sunglasses. Mm-hmm. I know. Well, you look gorgeous without eyeliner. So Thanks. if you decide you don't want to do it. God. Thank You're you. so beautiful. I love you. It's so nice. Um, I don't want to fight you anymore. <laughs> there's still swag in the van. I just left the swag in the table and the tablecloth in the van last night. Okay. So. I got to go load it all up for myself and then for Brandon tomorrow anyway, so. Oh, yeah, because I forgot Brandon's working that remote. Yeah, because I'm not going to be here. So most of my story is written, and then, like, the last two pages of it, it's, like, copy and paste follow-up from Wikipedia That's that fine. I'll have to just kind of um, work through a little bit. <clears throat> that works for me. This is Off Air with Emily and Patra. Hey! By the way. What up? It's Friday. It is. What? I ordered Walmart groceries and I got produce. My oh, apples yes. were fine. Okay, that's good. I had other issues, mm-hmm. but like doesn't tell you exactly where to go, so it says to come into the kiosk and all that. Oh, yeah. Well, if you order a bunch of groceries, you don't do that. You go drive around and pick it up. Mm. But I was already standing inside and had already entered my order number in. And they don't say, oh, actually, you need to go outside. They just leave you standing there. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then what else? Oh, it, they ask you to call ahead when you're on your way, which annoys me because I don't want to deal with anybody. That's why I'm doing this online. Mm-hmm. But I called anyway, and um, it said the person you are calling has a voice mailbox that has not yet been set up. And what I was like, heck? fucking Eastside Walmart. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> what is Rah! happening? But I got my groceries, and I had a $10 off coupon code. That don't even care. Mm-hmm. I'd let you slap me in the face for $10. Seriously. Don't even care. I don't, I'd stand inside and just be ignored by the old Walmart greeter. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah, that's fine with that. <clears throat> that's cool, though. That's good. That, that we were talking about it, and I so I ordered Kroger like last week or whatever, mm-hmm. and got it. And then Kroger charges five dollars, which I'm fine with, right? Because I ultimately save probably like fifty bucks <laughs> versus just walking yeah. in the store. Ooh, I need that. And yeah. so that five dollars is fine, but Walmart offers free pickup. And I, I said I asked Patrick because the mm-hmm. one thing that I'm worried about is Walmart's produce. Yeah, and it was like, fine because I get produce. Every time I order groceries, we mm-hmm. get fruit, vegetables, something. Yeah. And I was like, tell me how your apples are. Because I'm curious. Yeah, and I if got they gave cheap you, like, ones. the shitty ones of the bunch. No, I feel like they might have picked out the better the ones, ones, like, so that I'll come back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were pretty good. And I got crappy gala apples. Mm-hmm. 
Because I was worried, like, what if they gave me shitty Honeycrisp and I'd have to fight somebody? Because those bitches are expensive. There's nothing worse than expensive, not satisfying Honeycrisp apples. I agree. I 100% agree. If I'm paying $12 for an apple, (coughs) better taste, guys. It better be the best fucking apple I've ever had. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Oh, guess what? Hmm. So. um, Can you hear me chewing? No. Okay, good. I, I can hear it. <laughs> I worry about that all the time. Whenever I'm eating, I will, like, take a bite and then mm-hmm. chew over here. <laughs> uh, last night, Joe came to visit, and I'd had kind of a long few days and yeah. whatever. Um, and so had he. Uh, and he stopped and got me flowers and garlic-stuffed olives. Oh, my gosh. That's I know. the way to your heart. And because, um, you know, he works like a, you know, like, in a state place, so that he finds random weird shit all the time. Mm-hmm. He brought me a fake tooth. I it might be real. Oh my god! What if it was like a fake tooth that was on a real, t- like a crown? It maybe because mm-hmm. it had a brace bracket attached to it. <laughs> that was and, a real tooth. Yeah, and I put it in my little jewelry box that has my kids' teeth in it. My their their baby teeth. So, like basically, that's it. It's done. So in olives and a weird old tooth. That's all it takes. <laughs> I knew I liked him. Right? Okay, I'm not going to wear eyeliner. I'm just going to put my mascara on finally. Okay. Like, oh, fuck. Seven hours after I put the rest of my makeup on this it's morning. Fine. It's fine. Because I okay. was insistent I was going to put that eyeliner on, but sure didn't. Just had a sparkling water. Mm-hmm. Just finished it. So... Y'all know what's in it from here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I dropped Ivan off at band this morning. Mm-hmm. And um, he plays the drum, so he's got this big-ass drum kit. Like, fine. And the closest door and the easiest drop-off point without me having to fuck with any other parents mm-hmm. <laughs> is, like, on the street, but there's, like, seven steps. So I have made him a deal that, you know, I get his drums out every day anyway because I just don't want him yanking it over the back of my car. Right. Twelve-year-old boys don't really— pay much attention to that sort of thing. So I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, I'll grab him out. And I give him to him and I kiss him and he's off. So now I bring him up these like seven steps. Mm-hmm. As I was walking back to my car today, a boy on a bike who obviously was like in eighth or ninth grade band because he had already had class mm-hmm. was like, hey, Miss Jones. So I must have had him in school. And I was like, hey. Hi, you kid that I don't remember. <laughs> I mean, I just didn't see him. He was on yeah, a bike. But going oh, fast. so excited. I love when that happens. That is nice. I like that. It's pretty sweet. Mm. So um, I yeah. almost ran over Ivan the other day. Oh my god! <laughs> so Patrick and I, we have, we had our like, uh, we have a monthly meeting mm-hmm. on. It's like the first Wednesday of every month, and I we drove separately because she had to go get Ivan, mm-hmm. and I drove our news director, and I drove down 4th Street to see if there was any parking there, and there wasn't. So I was mm-hmm. like, I'm just going to park in Patrick's parking lot. And I pulled up right next to her right as Ivan opened, was opening her car door, and he goes, oh, shit. <laughs> Basically, like, the look on his face, he's like, oh, my God. Uh, oh. And I got out. I was like, sorry, I scared you, dude. <laughs> I was like, he just, um, op- like, right as he opened the door, the car- her car pulled up. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me, and he went, oh. <laughs> oh. And I said, oh, hey, sorry, Emily tried to kill you. And he's like, it's all right. <laughs> it's fine, I He's guess. He's just the sweetest little baby. It's all right this We've time. been playing a lot of Lego The Incredibles. Yeah. I got it, like, a used copy. Um, 
That it's amazing. Like it's so easy and so much fun. And all you do is just run around and collect those damn mini kits. Mm-hmm. And oh, we have gotten, fun. we've unlocked every Pixar character because Ivan got Lightning McQueen while I was at work this morning. Dang. Yeah. So we put some work in. That's cool. Oh, my. I love that. You're are, cracky today, too. Yeah. Not just gassy. I know. Cracky damn. and gassy. It's going to be a treat. <coughs> Musical. Cracky and Gassy the Musical. My God. <laughs> I bet we can get tickets to that. Probably. What did you get tickets for? Oh, Cirque du Soleil. Oh. I'm not super excited When about is it? it? It's a Wednesday, July later. July later. Okay. <laughs> July 20s. <laughs> Christopher oh, no. probably doesn't want to go little, to Cirque du Soleil for his birthday, but he might. came out. It's okay. It's all right. <laughs> Outside at North Vernon, they're going to have a relax-a-thon. Okay. The last person sitting gets to take home a recliner that they've been sitting in. <laughs> you know, like, damage I could do in a recliner. You know, <laughs> that battle is going to last to, like, 7 p.m. next Friday. Oh, my God. Battle for the recliner. <clears throat> oh, God. Interesting. Yeah. It's, and you had to like pre like win. Yeah. And like they drew the names of four lucky people to come battle it out at 8 a.m. this morning. They better still be sitting when I get there too. That's all I got to say. I want to know. Send me, I just want to know. Uh, yeah. I want to know what's happening. I'm going to snap you those four people <laughs> sitting with their feet propped up in their recliner. <laughs> in like weird positions because their yes. butt's numb. <laughs> I would have to pee within the first 25 minutes and I'd lose. Yeah. I mean, I just am a pissing fool. Yeah. I feel like that would be, like, my only thing was, like, if I really had to pee. Mm-hmm. But usually, usually I can hold it. They don't call me Pissy Patty for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Good Lord. You want to talk about Meritor? Okay. Okay. I got, I, this one is on special request. On special request. Yeah. Meow, meow, meow. Was that? Air horns? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> okay. We're going to get right into it. Um, yeah. Are you ready? Yeah. It's my turn first, right? Yes. Okay. I thought. I thought. I thought. On April 20th. No. I'm going to start over. Okay. Okay. Ready? Ready. Okay. Now we're ready. Okay. <laughs> oh, God. On April 10th, 1984. Oh, I'm going to sound more somber. Take three. <clears throat> On April 10th, 1984. <laughs> the look I just got. I'm so proud of how that sounded. I'm Robert Stack right now. You are. Mysteries. Seriously. Oh, the okay. body of nine-year-old Mei Lung. Some of these names are tough. Mm. Was found hanging from a pipe in a hotel basement in the Tenderloin District of San Francisco, she had been raped and beaten before being stabbed to death, um, although it was not known at the time. This is the first, although at the time they did not know this, but it was the first killing of Richard Ramirez, also known as the Night Stalker. Dun, dun, dun. So my boyfriend's been wanting me to do this one for a while. Because mm-hmm. um, <laughs> Richard Ramirez, we have all talked about Ted Bundy and his attractiveness level. Mm-hmm. But Richard Ramirez is probably where it's at for mm-hmm. me. With the hair and, and yeah. the dark clothes and the whole Satan thing. Just, I'm not, I'm not a Satan fan. Right. But I just like the look. Right. Okay. 
I get it. That's all. I understand. And we talked about him staying at the Cecil last week. So, yeah. Anyway. Consistency. Mm-hmm. It's just a story. We're telling a story. It's a storyline. <laughs> God, this is going to be rough. I can tell already. Richard Ramirez was born in El Paso, Texas on February 29th, Leap Day, 1960. The young- I know, right? The youngest of Julian and Mercedes Ramirez's five children, Richard's father, Julian, was a former Juarez, Mexico police officer. Um, He was also prone to fits of anger that often resulted in violence against his wife and children. Mm. When Richard was approximately 12 years old, he started hanging out with his older cousin, Miguel Ramirez, or Mike. Mike was a decorated combat veteran who often shared gory details of combat with Richard Along oh. with war crimes that he had committed most often against women. Oh, my gosh. So he had a bunch of, like, a box of Polaroids. Mm-hmm. And in that box was basically just, like, pictures of him forcing himself on women at gunpoint. Um, and then him holding one of those women's decapitated heads. Ugh. Yeah. Um, he would share those pictures. With Richard, and he also taught him how to be, like, a stealthy killer and how to sneak up on someone to attack them. Ooh, good. Are we going to get a special guest? Maybe. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hello, Harrison. Hello, Harrison Silcox. What? You're doing an air shift. You're on drugs. What? I was like, who wants to hear you talk about The Bachelorette? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm sorry. That is a good show. Have you watched The Bachelorette? I do not. Uh, anyways, yes. Can you convert PDF document to a Word document for me? Yes. Yeah. For this press release for whatever this dumb fireworks thing. <laughs> you can just jump on my computer and do it if you want, because we'll be a little bit. Okay. Can I talk about murder? Yeah. Who got murdered? We're talking about yeah, Richard like Ramirez first. A dozen people. George Orwell. How many times did I? 1984. How many different ways did I spell Ramirez here? <laughs> like, like all of the ways. There's two misspellings Are on these the... all different murders. Mm, yeah, or this is all one. Each paragraph is a separate murder. Um. Yes. And then there's two in this one. This is a quick one. 1982 at the age of. Oh, 22. that's just a quick little where what? he. Yeah. Stayed permanently underground. My God. (laughs) Unless he's cremated. Spoiler alert. Depends. I don't know. (laughs) How did this guy die? It's on page six. You're going to have to listen off air with Emily and Patra, Harrison. Mm. You guys will have to watch The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. I'm being recorded. By Harrison. You are being recorded. (laughs) That is not okay. (laughs) Okay. He's doing a great job. Okay, Brittany's going to her meeting. Brittany's at her meeting. She'll be back by remote time. Good. I don't know if I'll be there. (laughs) (laughs) It starts in two hours and 14 minutes. It's fine. Okay. Yeah, I said about the horrible stuff. Okay, his uncle was the worst. Yes. And shared all his terrible shit with him. They smoked weed and hung out and looked at nasty pictures, and he told him and taught him a bunch of horrible stuff. And he's like 12? He's 12. That's the age of my son. I don't like that. I know. And they are impressionable at that age. hmm Yeah. In May of 1973, when Richard was approximately 13 years old, um, Mike Ramirez shot his wife, Jessie, in the face with a 38 caliber revolver during a domestic dispute, killing her in front of Richard. Mike was found not guilty of murder by reason of insanity and spent 
just four years. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Harrison Silcox, everybody. Can you pause the recording? No. No. Oh, dang it. Okay. (laughs) I'll cut it out if you really don't want it in there. I don't care. I I figured. anything that, you know, would incriminate me. Leave that stuff for conversations in rooms without microphones. Okay. Uh, I need to log into your computer, so. Uh, it's all lowercase. <laughs> it's, I'll cut that out. Mine's if you're interested. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <clears throat> in May of 1973, when Richard was approximately <laughs> 13 years old, Mike shot his wife, Jesse in the face. Okay. So he did this in front of Richard, but Richard didn't really tell anybody that he saw it. Okay. Um, he didn't tell his parents. He just then started, like, acting up. Uh-huh. Right? Okay. Like, freaking out. Like, freaking out. Yeah. Um, so his cousin, no, Mike, the uncle, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is an uncle? Yeah, that's what I said. He spent four years in the Texas State Mental Hospital before he was released and then just continued to hang out with his chill Richard, who's, like, still a teenager at this time, like, <sighs> 17. All right. So, as an adolescent, Richard began to link his sexual fantasies with violence um, in his own life. He took a job at a local Holiday Inn where he had a pass key to enter guest rooms. I used to work at a hotel, and I definitely had one of those keys. Mm-hmm. Um never even occurred to me to go in a room that I wasn't assigned to go in, though, because that seemed super scary. I didn't even like going in the rooms they told me to go in. Right. Because you had to knock, and if someone was in there and they didn't want to leave while you cleaned, and they just wanted to watch you clean, that was totally appropriate, and that happened sometimes. It was awful. I don't like that. No, me either, because I was like 14 or 15. So his employment ended when a hotel guest returned to his room to find Ramirez raping his wife. The woman's husband beat him, like, severely, and police were called. But charges were dropped when the couple who lived out of town decided not to return for the trial. They just wanted to put it behind them. Mm-hmm. I get that. In 1982, at the age of 22, he moved from Texas to California, where he took up permanent residence. <laughs> where he stayed permanently, underground, <laughs> on June 28th, 1984. 79-year-old Jenny Vinco, Vincow, was found dead in her apartment as was found dead in her apartment. She had been stabbed repeatedly and her throat was slashed so violently that she was nearly decapitated. Oh my gosh. Approximately eight months later, on March 17th, 1985. So this kicks off about six months of just insanity. Okay. Because like we've talked about a lot of serial killers, and they usually go like Six months to two years in between murders. Mm -hmm. All of his basically took place, like, it was like... Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, like, April of 84, then we have a June of 84, and then March 17th, and it's, like, sometimes multiples in a day. It's insane. Um, Okay, so March 17th, Ramirez attacked 22-year-old Maria Hernandez outside of her home, shooting her in the face with a twenty-two caliber handgun as she was pulling into her garage. Um, or walking into her garage. She survived when the bullet ricocheted off of her keys as she lifted her hands to her face to protect herself. Mm -hmm. Inside, so then she kind of just, like, fell to the ground and played dead. Yeah. Um, Inside the house, her roommate, 34-year-old, I would pronounce this as Dale, but I know it was a woman, so not Dale. 
D-A-Y-L-E. Maybe. Yeah. It's like Gail, but Gail. Gail, but Dale. Okay. Heard the gunshot. Um, she ducked behind a counter when she saw Richard Ramirez enter her kitchen, but then, like, she raised her head to see if he was still there. And, and he, he was. was. And he shot her in the forehead. Like, <sighs> fuck. <laughs> Why am I so stupid? Because <laughs> we get stupid together. Gosh, we do. Uh, All right. Tell me more. I don't know. I don't really want it, but it's fine. I know. Okay. Within an hour of killing Dale and shooting Maria, Ramirez pulled 30-year-old Cy Leon Yu out of her car in Monterey Park, shot her twice with a 22 caliber handgun, and fled. She was pronounced dead at the hospital. So just two in one night. I mean, three, really, but two separate incidents. Insane. That's crazy. The two murders in one attempt caused extensive media attention, and they dubbed the killer the walk-in killer or the valley intruder. Okay. Okay. Just over a week later, on March 27th of 85, Ramirez entered the home of Vincent Zazara, a home that he had previously burglarized a year earlier. At approximately 2 a.m., he killed Vincent, age 64, with a gunshot to his head from a 22 caliber handgun. Vincent's wife, Maxine, 44, woke up during her husband's murder. Ramirez beat her and bound her hands while demanding to know where her valuables were. While he searched the room, Maxine escaped her bindings and retrieved a shotgun from under the bed. Get it, girl. Um, She did not know, but the shotgun was unloaded, and she attempted to shoot him, but nothing happened. That infuriated him that, like, how dare her? Mm -hmm. Are you fucking kidding me, dude? Of course. Mm -hmm. And infuriated Ramirez, he shot her three times with the twenty-two. Then he mutilated her body by stabbing her several times with the large knife that he got from their kitchen and gouged out her eyes. <gasps> he put her eyes in a jewelry box and took them with him. No. The autopsy determined that the mutilations were post-mortem. Ramirez left footprints from a pair of Avia sneakers in the flower beds, which the police photographed and cast. This was, like, the only evidence that the police had at the time. Um, pause here that Avia shoes were brand new, like, mm. out then, and they... Like, knew that one pair had been sold in the area, but he didn't use a credit card, so they couldn't. But they knew, like, where he bought his shoes and all that shit. Wow. Yeah. That's insane. That is kind of crazy. The police photograph, whatever, only evidence. Bullets found at the scene were matched to those found at previous attacks, and the police realized, hey, I think there's a serial killer out there. You think? Vincent and Maxine's bodies were found by their son, Peter. On May 14th, 1985, so about... A month and a half later, six weeks, Ramirez went back to Monterey Park and entered the home of Bill Doey, 66, and his his disabled wife, Lillian, 56. Ramirez shot Doey in the face in his bedroom with a 22 semi-automatic pistol as he went for his own gun. Um, after beating Bill Doey into unconsciousness, Ramirez entered Lillian's bedroom, bound her with thumb cuffs, then raped her after he uh, ransacked the home for valuables. Bill Doey died of his injuries while in the hospital. This is a really dumb question, but what are thumb cuffs? I looked it up because okay, I didn't good. know. <laughs> um, it's like handcuffs, but for thumbs. And sometimes people put them on their toes. Mm-hmm. And um, on Wikipedia, all the tags are like BDSM and shit like that. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. I don't. I wouldn't want my thumbs. Don't fuck with my thumbs. No. That's not gonna do anything for either one of us. Mm-mm. Anyway. Um, I there's like a huge he seems to like 
breaking into two people's homes and just raping one of them. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah. While the other one, I mean, not watches, but is probably aware. Mm-hmm. On the night of May 29th, so a week and a half later, Ramirez drove a stolen Mercedes Benz to Monrovia, where he stopped at the house of Mabel Bell, 83, and her sister, Florence Nettie Lang, 81. Using a hammer he found in their kitchen, he bludgeoned and bound 81-year-old Nettie in her bedroom, then bound and bludgeoned 83-year-old Mabel before using an electrical cord to shock her. Oh, my God. After raping 81-year-old Nettie, he used Mabel's lipstick to draw a pentagram on her thigh as well as on the walls of both bedrooms. Discovered two days later, both women were found alive but comatose. Oh, my God. And 83-year-old Mabel later died from her injuries. (sighs) Yeah, dude. That's, like, what the fuck? Um, The very next day. He drove the same stolen Mercedes to Burbank, California, where he snuck into the home of Carol Kyle, 44, and her 11-year-old son. He bound Carol and her son both with handcuffs while he ransacked the house. So he bound them together. Okay. Um, He couldn't find anything valuable, so he got Carol, um, uncuffed her from her son, but left her son tied up to show him where the valuables were. Then he repeatedly raped and sodomized her in the same room where her son was handcuffed in the closet. He repeatedly told Carol not to look at him, at one point telling her he would cut her eyes out. He fled the scene after retrieving the child from the closet and binding the two together again with the handcuffs. Oh, my God. Um, On the night of July 2nd, so about a month later, 1985, he drove a stolen Toyota to Arcadia, California, and randomly selected the house of 75-year-old Mary Louise Cannon, after quietly entering the widowed grandmother's home, he found her asleep in her bedroom. He bludgeoned her into unconsciousness with a lamp and then repeatedly stabbed her using a 10-inch butcher knife from her kitchen. She was found dead at the crime scene. So busy in our lobby and hallway and sidewalk today. I know it. On July 5th, so what did I just say? That was like no time. Yeah. Three days. Three days later— Ramirez broke into a home in Sierra Madre and bludgeoned 16-year-old Whitney Bennett with a tire iron as she slept in her room. After searching for a knife in the kitchen but not finding one, Richard attempted to strangle the girl with a telephone cord. He was startled to see sparks coming from the cord, and she was, like, still alive. So he panicked and fled the house, believing that Jesus had intervened and saved her. Bennett survived the beating, which required 478 stitches to her scalp. Oh. I mean, fuck. Uh, Two days later, Ramirez burglarized the home of Joyce Lucille Nelson, 61, in Monterey Park. Finding her asleep on her living room couch, he beat her to death using his fists and kicking her in the head. A shoe print from an Avia sneaker was left imprinted on her face. That same night, after searching through two other neighborhoods, he returned to Monterey Park again and chose the home of Sophie Dickman, 63, Ramirez assaulted and handcuffed Dickman at gunpoint, attempted to rape her, and stole her jewelry. When she swore to him that he had taken everything of value, he insisted that she swear to Satan. Oh. Yeah. Okay. On July 20th, 1985, Ramirez purchased a machete before driving a stolen Toyota to Glendale. He chose the home of Leela Needing, 66, and her husband, Max, 68. He entered the sleeping couple's bedroom and attacked them with with the machete, then killed them with shots to the head from a 22 caliber handgun. 
He further mutilated their bodies with a machete before robbing the house. Mm. After the needing home, he drove to Sun Valley at approximately 4.15 a.m. He broke into the home of the Covenanth family. He murdered Chainarong Covenanth by shooting the sleeping man in the head with a 25 caliber handgun, killing him instantly. He then repeatedly raped Somkid Covenanth, beating and sodomizing her. He had bound the couple's terrified eight-year-old son before dragging Somkid around the house to reveal the location of any valuables, which he then took. During his assault, he once again demanded that his victim swear to Satan that she was not hiding any valuables or money from him. On August 6, 1985, Ramirez drove to Northridge and broke into the home of Chris and Virginia Peterson. Ramirez crept into the bedroom, startling Virginia, 27, prompting him to shoot her in the face. He then shot Chris Peterson in the temple and attempted to flee. Chris Peterson fought back while avoiding being hit by two more shots during the struggle before Ramirez managed to escape. Both of the couple survived their injuries. Mm -hmm. On August 8th, Ramirez drove a stolen car to Diamond Bar and chose the home of Sakina Abawath, 27, and her husband, Elias, 31. Sometime after 2.30 a.m., he entered the house and went into their bedroom where he killed the sleeping Elias with a shot to the head and he handcuffed and beat Sakina while forcing her to reveal the locations of the family's jewelry. He then raped and sodomized her. He repeatedly demanded that she swear on Satan that she would not scream during his assaults. When the couple's three-year-old son entered the bedroom, Ramirez tied the child up and continued to rape Sakina. After Ramirez left the home, Sakina untied her son and sent him to the neighbors for help. Mm. I know. I'm, I hate him. Ramirez, who had been following the media coverage of his crimes, left the L.A. area and headed to the San Francisco Bay Area. On August 18th, 1985, Ramirez entered the home of Peter and Barbara Pan. It's sad, but his name's Peter Pan. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> You can't just pretend it's not. He shot Peter, age 66, in the temple in his sleep with a 25 caliber handgun, and he then beat and sexually assaulted Barbara before he shot her in the head and left her for dead. At the crime scene, Ramirez used lipstick to, put, to draw a pentagram and the phrase, Jack the Knife, on the bedroom wall. When it was discovered that the ballistics and shoe print evidence from the Night Stalker crime scenes matched the Peter Pan crime scene, then-Mayor San Francisco Diane Feinstein um, held a press conference and shared the information about the Avia shoes. Mm -hmm. And this, like, pissed everybody off because they knew that he was just going to get rid of that evidence. And he did. So um, he had been watching the press conference. Ramirez dropped his size 11 and a half Avia sneakers off the side of the Golden Gate Bridge that same day. Mm -hmm. Um. He stayed in the San Francisco Bay Area for a few more days before heading back to L.A. On August 24, 1985, Ramirez traveled 76 miles south of Los Angeles in a stolen orange Toyota to Mission Viejo. That night, he arrived at the home of James Romero Jr., who had just returned from a family vacation to Rosarito Beach in Mexico. Romero's son, 13-year-old James Romero III, happened to be awake and heard Ramirez's footsteps outside the house. Thinking that there was a prowler, he went to wake his parents, and Ramirez fled the scene. James raced outside and was able to note the color, make, and style of the car, as well as a partial license plate number. Romero contacted the police with this information, believing James had chased away a thief. So, Dang. I know. Like, 
I like, I'm so proud of that kid, right? Right. Jesus. After this encounter, Ramirez broke into the house of Bill Carnes, 30, and his fiancee, Inez Erickson, 29, through a back door. Ramirez entered the bedroom of the sleeping couple and awakened Carnes when he cocked his 25 caliber handgun. He shot Carnes three times in the head before turning his attention to Erickson. Ramirez told the terrified woman that he was the night stalker. And he forced her to swear she loved Satan as he beat her with his fists and bound her with neckties from the closet. After stealing what he could find, he dragged Erickson to another room to rape and sodomize her. He then demanded cash and more jewelry, making Erickson swear on Satan there was no more. Before leaving the home, Ramirez told Erickson, tell them the Night Stalker was here. Erickson untied herself and went to a neighbor's house to get help for her injuries, and well, for her severely injured fiancé. Surgeons were able to remove two of the bullets from his head, and he survived his injuries. Could you imagine living with a bullet that Richard Ramirez put in your head? I mean, how badass. Like, so badass that you lived through three gunshots. Right? To the head. From the Night Stalker. From the Night Stalker. That's insane, because it take one shot to the head could not kill you. Two shots is like... A confirmed kill. Pretty yeah, much. it's considered a confirmed kill. So that he, so the fact that he had three, it's dang, dang. insane. Okay, so yeah, hero Bill Carnes survived. <laughs> Erickson was able to give a detailed description of the assailant to investigators, and police were able to obtain a cast of Ramirez's footprint from the Romero house. The stolen car was found on August twenty eighth in Wilshire Center, Los Angeles, and police were able to obtain a fingerprint from the rearview mirror. Um, <clears throat> even though Ramirez tried to wipe everything clean, the print was positively identifying identified as belonging to Richard Ramirez, who was described as a 25-year-old drifter from Texas with a long rap sheet that included many arrests for traffic and illegal drug violations. Law enforcement officials decided to release to the media a mugshot of Ramirez from a December 12, 1984 arrest photo. I should have pulled that up. He looks so young. I mean, I guess technically he was pretty young. Yeah. For car theft, that it was a... Mugshot for car theft. And the Night Stalker finally had a face. At the police press conference, it was announced, we know who you are now, and soon everyone else will. There will be no place you can hide. Mm -hmm. August 30th, 1985, Ramirez took a bus to Tucson, Arizona, to visit his brother. He was apparently unaware that he had become the lead story in virtually every major newspaper and television news broadcast across the state of California. When he returned to Los Angeles... On the morning of August 31, he, by the way, did not meet up with his brother, and I couldn't find out why. I didn't. Hmm. Oh, my God. Harrison. <laughs> Come on in. <laughs> you know what? He's all wound up because questions. he got a donut this morning. I have questions. That's, That's why. Mm -hmm. Okay, the press release. Mm. Um, That's it. That's where we work. That's, it, yep. That's the one. Uh, that Columbus Regional Health, and then Cummins needs to be on there as well. Mm -hmm. the top. <laughs> Both of these. Oh, yeah, just, I mean, just use that. Or, oh, that's got a mind, yeah. Yeah, just use that. Oh, my gosh, we were both like, <gasps> it's the donut. It's the donut talking. Donut. Yeah. God, issues. I'm a high-energy person. Emily knows. High energy. Yeah. Imagine when it was, like, eight college students in Pass. In my living room. I'm tired already. Yeah, or you're living <laughs> for Christmas. Yikes. It was the Christmas party that everybody tried to bail out on, except for me, Chris, and Josh. Aw. Yeah. a bunch of jerks. Jerks! That was fun, though, because Josh got Liz to really 
fat thing of sausage. Oh, like yeah, that's right. Because yeah. <laughs> we did Secret Santas, mm-hmm. and Josh got, like, one of those, like, it's, like, this long, and it's, like, that thick thing of summer, summer sausage. sausage. Nice. And the bag broke, and it fell out. Yeah, it was just, like, <laughs> a brown, it was, like, it's in a brown funny. bag. And she, like, she picks it up, and it just falls out, and you just hear, like, on, on Emily's floor. It's great. Okay. Thunk have of meat. recording your show. Thanks. I should have an air shift. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so his capture is insane. Have you? Do you know about it? No. I'm going to start over. I mean, probably, but just tell me. Okay. So he was unaware that he was, like, the big fucking news, big, big man on campus. Mm-hmm. So when he returns to Los Angeles on the morning of August 31st, he walks right past officers who were staking out the bus terminal in hopes of catching the killer. Oh, my God. Should he attempt to flee on an outbound bus? To So he walked past them to a convenience store. I don't know if they didn't see him or what. What were you guys doing? Um, in East L.A., after noticing a group of elderly Mexican women fearfully identifying him as El Matador or the killer, Ramirez saw his face on the covers um, of the newspaper rack and fled the store in a panic. Ramirez ran across the Santa Ana freeway, attempted to carjack a woman, but was chased away by bystanders who then ran after him. After hopping over several fences and attempting two more carjackings, he was eventually subdued by, like, a mob of residents, one of whom had struck him over the head with a metal bar. The group held Ramirez down, relentlessly beating him until police arrived and took him into custody. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Right? Holy yes. shit. That's, like, how I want every single story to end. Yeah. <laughs> so this is where I copy and pasted. See my okay. copy paste. <laughs> so, She's got, like, the different types of Yeah, fonts. like, I straight just copied this bullshit right here. Okay, um, jury selection was started on July 22nd. Ramirez raised a hand with a pentagram drawn on it and yelled, Hail Satan, at his first court appearance. Drama queen. Uh, Right? Give me a break, dude. Um, The Los Angeles Times reported that some jail employees overheard Ramirez planning to shoot the prosecutor with a gun, which Ramirez intended to have smuggled into the courtroom by an outsider. Um, So they installed a metal detector outside the courtroom, and extensive searches were conducted on people entering. Um, On August 14th, the trial was interrupted because one of the jurors did not arrive at the courtroom. Later that day, she was found shot to death in her apartment. The jury was terrified. They could not help wondering if Ramirez had somehow been involved, even from inside of prison. Um, However, Ramirez was not responsible for that juror's death. She had been shot and killed by her boyfriend. He later committed suicide with the same weapon. Um, On September 20th, 1989, Ramirez was convicted on all 13 charges of murder, five attempted murders, 11 sexual assaults, and 14 burglaries. During the penalty phase of the trial on November 7th, 1989, he was sentenced to die in California's gas chamber. He stated to reporters after the death sentence, Big deal. Death always went with the territory. See you in Disneyland. Mm. Stupid. You're a fucking idiot. Um, by the time of the trial, Ramirez had fans who were writing him letters and paying him visits. Uh, in 1985, Doreen Leoe wrote him nearly 75 letters. In 1988, he proposed to her. And on October 3rd, 1996, they were married in California's San Quentin State Prison, for many years before Ramirez's death, Leoy stated that she would commit suicide when Ramirez was executed. However, Leoy and Ramirez eventually separated. 
Um, By some estimates, he would have been in his early 70s before his execution was carried out due to lengthy California appeals processes. Um, He had appeals through 2006. Everything was upheld. His convictions were upheld and Mm -hmm. all of that. Ramirez died of complications to B-cell lymphoma at Marin General Hospital in Green Bray, California on June 7th, 2013. I hope it hurt. (laughs) He had also been affected by chronic substance abuse and chronic hepatitis C viral infection. At 53 years old, he had been on death row for more than 23 years. That's insane. I had no idea it all happened in such a short amount of time. Yeah. Killing, going to like multiple residences to kill people in the same night. Mm -mm. That's exhausting. I mean... I, another thing that oh, I don't fuck. get, this is, this isn't, this is kind of funny, but it's not like I'm serious. Mm-hmm. I don't understand how serial killers can just like pound it out. Like pound he's it like, out? like <laughs> they, they say like he raped her multiple times and then he went to this other lady's house and raped and sodomized her multiple times. To- like how? Um. Like, like I get that this kind of disturbing stuff turns you on, but like. Right. Aren't you done yet? Yeah. <laughs> like, calm down. Yeah. No, I feel that. So, Richard Ramirez with his feathered hair and his love for Satan. Thank you for doing that one. And his fucking, I mean, he was just crazy, right? That's all there is to it. Like, mm-hmm. not crazy, but like, he was, he enjoyed it. Yeah. Not like, not like, not not guilty by reason of insanity, just like crazy, fucked but up. Just like, yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Not crazy, but like crazy. Are you an Amazon shopper like Patra and I? Do you love Off Air with Emily and Patra? When you're ready to search the depths of Amazon, visit us at offairwithep.com first. Click on the Amazon ad and continue shopping like normal. This helps keep Off Air with Emily and Patra going strong. We receive a small percentage of any purchases you make through our affiliate link, but it's literally zero extra costs to you. I feel like no one will interrupt us while you do yours. Is that not always the case? <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. My God. <laughs> Um, so I'm going to do the, oh, I forgot the name of it already. Let me see. Ah, so thirsty that whole time. (laughs) (laughs) I got real, when I opened my water the first time, I got real thirsty and like, just hit me. Okay, this is the Washington Navy Yard shooting. Never heard of it. Didn't know what I was going to do. I think I've heard of it. I mean, I'm sure you have. It was in 2013. Okay. And you were, like, big into true crime when you were, like, a fetus, so. So, yeah. You've probably heard I've of I've heard it. of this. <laughs> um, but, like, I just didn't know what to do, so I was just like, I don't even know how I found this, but I did. I did. Do it! <laughs> Aaron Alexis was born May 9th in 1979 um, in, New York, in the New York City borough of Queens, He grew up in Brooklyn and was a resident of Fort Worth, Texas. He joined the United States Navy in 2007 and served in Fleet Logistics Support Squadron 46 at Naval Air Station Joint Reserve Base Fort Worth. His rating was Aviation Electrician's Mate, and he had attained the rank of Petty Officer 3rd Class when he was honorably discharged from the Navy Navy on January 31, 2011, although the Navy originally intended for him to receive just a general discharge. I don't know what classifies the difference between a general discharge and an honorable discharge, but... Yeah, I don't know. It happened. Do you get less benefits one way or the mm, other? Maybe. 
According to a Navy official, Alexis was cited on at least eight occasions for misconduct. In 2010, he was arrested in Fort Worth for discharging a weapon within city limits. He was also arrested in Seattle, Washington in 2004 for malicious mischief after shooting out the tires of another man's vehicle in what he later described as as the result of an anger-fueled blackout and in 2008 in DeKalb County, Georgia for disorderly conduct. Authorities did not prosecute Alexis for the Seattle or the Fort Worth cases. From September 2012 to January 2013, he worked in Japan refreshing computer systems on the Navy Marine Corps intranet network for HP Enterprise Services subcontracting company called The Experts. That sounds like Mm. like dark web shit. Yeah. <laughs> and it says refreshing computer systems in quotations. So who knows what he was doing okay. with the experts. After returning from Japan, he expressed frustration to a former roommate that he hadn't been paid properly for the work he performed. Another roommate of Alexis said that he would frequently complain about being the victim of discrimination. And in July of 2013, he resumed working for the experts in the United States. Aaron Alexis arrived in the Washington, D.C. area on or around August 25th of 2013, and stayed at various hotels. On September 7th, he had been staying at a residence in a hotel in southwest Washington. He was working for a subcontractor contractor <laughs> on a Hewlett-Packard Enterprise Services contract and staying with five other civilian contractors. On Saturday, September 14th, Alexis visited the Sharpshooters Small Arms Range in Lorton, Virginia, 15 miles south of Washington, D.C., he tested out an AR-15 semi-automatic rifle but did not seek to buy it, The lawyer for the, a lawyer for the store said. Instead, after purchasing ammo and test firing the AR-15, he inquired about buying a handgun at the range, and accord, according to that attorney. However, since federal law does not allow dealers to sell directly to out-of-state residents and the gun would have been shipped to a licensed dealer in his home state, He then selected a Remington 870 Express 12-gauge shotgun since rifles and shotguns may be directly sold to out-of-state residents and bought it along with two boxes of shells containing about 24 rounds after passing a state and federal background check. Okay. So he passed the background check. Yeah. But here's my thing. Mm -hmm. He was like toying with buying an AR. And then he was like, "Mm, no, I'm not going to buy that. Then he was like, oh, no, I'm going to try... Uh, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna buy this handgun, mm-hmm. and then they they're like, "Well, we can't because we gotta send it to you." And he's like, "Oh no, no, no! Actually, let me buy the shotgun." Like, if you're mm-hmm. going in to buy a gun for a specific purpose, you're going you know, to stay yeah. within your range. Yeah. So that should have been their first sign. <laughs> like, you use an AR-15 <clears throat> for practically nothing besides military things, right? Or if you're just a gun enthusiast, and like you're not gonna use it mm-hmm. essentially. It's like you for use, your collection. Yeah, you use a handgun for personal protection. Mm-hmm. You use a shotgun to maybe go hunting. Like you, you're using all of these guns for different things. So if you're just like, mm, no, never mind, I want to get this one. Oh no, never mind, I actually want to get this different kind of thing for this. Hello. Yeah. So, what's like, up, dude? He's what obviously are you doing. doing yeah, yeah. I've been like, what? What exactly what, are you trying to do? Yeah. Like, what are you after here? Killing people. <laughs> That's fucking god. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Murder. <laughs> Sometimes before, sometime before eight twenty a.m. on September sixteenth. God damn it! Alexis arrived at the Navy Yard in a rental car using a valid pass to enter the yard. He entered Building One Ninety Seven carrying a disassembled shotgun, the barrel and the stock of which had been sawed off, in a bag on his shoulder. Shoulder. Yeah, baby. Shoulder. <laughs> okay. 
He assembled the shotgun inside the bathroom on the fourth floor and then emerged with the gun and began shooting. Many of the people shot on the fourth floor were shot at close range in the head. He then continued firing on the third floor and the lobby. At some point, he shot and killed a security officer and took the officer's Beretta 9mm semi-automatic pistol, using it after running out of ammo for his shotgun. Initial, initial reports that Alexis claimed most of his victims by firing from the fourth floor walkway onto people entering the first floor cafeteria were later stated to be incorrect. At 8.23 that morning, the first calls to 911 were made. So that was like three minutes. Mm-hmm. Six minutes later, a four-person active shooter response team was deployed into the building. Around that time, he was still firing shots on both the third and fourth floors. FC employee described encountering a gunman wearing an all blue wearing all blue clothing in a third floor hallway saying he just turned and started firing. At one point during the shooting, one man was hit by a stray bullet in an alleyway. As DC police responded within 7 minutes of the first shootings, Alexis opened fire on them, hitting an officer, Scott Williams, in the leg. He engaged several law enforcement personnel in a gunfight that lasted for more than 30 minutes. At around 9.20, Alexis was fatally shot in the head by police on the third floor, and his death was later confirmed at 11.50. There were a total of 13 fatalities, and Alexis and 11 of the victims were killed at the scene, while a 12th victim who was shot in the head, 61-year-old Vishnu Pandit, 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 I think it's Pandit, I don't know, died at, a George, Washington, at George Washington University Hospital. All the victims killed were civilian employees or contractors. Eight others were injured, three of them from gunfire. The survivors wounded by gunshots. No. The survivors wounded by gunshots were police officer Scott Williams and two female civilians were in critical condition at Washington Hospital Center. So the fatalities include Michael Arnold, age 59, Martin Bodrog, age 53, Arthur Daniels, age 51, Sylvia Frazier, 53, Kathy Gard, 62, John Roger Johnson, 73, Mary Frances Knight, 51, Frank Kohler, 50, Vishnu Pandit, 61, Kenneth Bernard Proctor, age 46, Gerald Reed, 58, and Richard Michael Ridgel, age 52. At the time of his death, Alexis was working online on a bachelor's degree in aeronautics from Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. He had tried Buddhist meditation for some time to control his mental illnesses, he has been suffering from some serious issues, including paranoia and a sleep disorder, as well as hearing voices. Since August 2013, he had been treated by the VA for mental problems. Members of his family also told investigators that he was being treated for mental issues. In August, he had been prescribed trazodone, a generic antidepressant that is widely prescribed for insomnia. Yeah, I feel like um, we've talked about another serial killer who had been prescribed trazodone. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the past, like, month or so, we've had a lot of people that have been prescribed <laughs> medicines. Yeah, we have. <laughs> that we've, like, actually mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> On the day of the shooting, Washington Chief of Police Kathy L. Lan- Lanier initially said that the police were searching for a white male wearing khaki military fatigues in a beret who had, alleg- who had allegedly been seen with a handgun and a black male wearing olive mat- military fatigues and carrying a long gun. The white male was later identified and deemed not to be a suspect. The black male, the black male was not identified. At 7 p.m., officials ruled out the possibility of other shooters besides Alexis, but were still seeking one person of possible involvement. On September 16th, many roadways and bridges were temporarily closed, and flights out of Ronald Reagan Washington National Airport were temporarily suspended. Eight schools were locked down, and shortly after 3 p.m., United States Senate buildings went on lockdown for about an hour out of abundance of caution. 
according to the sen- uh, to the Senate Sergeant of Senate Sergeant at Arms. The Washington Nationals baseball team postponed their scheduled evening game owing to the proximity of Nationals Park to the Navy Yard area. The Navy Yard reopened and resumed usual operations on Thursday, September 19th. Building 197 remained closed indefinitely. United States President Barack Obama pledged to ensure the perpetrators would be held responsible. On the day of the shooting, Obama ordered flags flown at half-staff until sunset on September 20th at the White House. All public buildings, all all military and naval posts, stations, and vessels. On September 17th, Department of Defense officials laid a wreath at the Navy Memorial Plaza in honor of the victims. President Obama attended a memorial service for the victims on September 22nd. A day after the shooting, Thomas Hoshko, the CEO of the company Alexis worked for, stated in an email sent to Navy Secretary Ray Mabus that he was dramatically affected by the shootings, adding, quote, my heart and prayers go out to the families and friends of those innocent victims. The shooting sparked a discussion on the adequacy of security at U.S. military facilities. On September 18th, Defense Secretary Chuck Hagel ordered a review of security procedures at military facilities around the world. Foreign Policy Magazine reported that virtually anyone with a common access card provided to the government provided to government contractors, civilian Defense Department employees, and soldiers enter, can enter many military facilities without being patted down or made to go through a metal detector. That's scary. Yeah, it is. Uh, Aaron Alexis had secret level security clearance and a common access card, allowing him to enter the Navy Yard. Alex Jones, Ted Nugent, Jim Treacher, and others commented that gun-free zones on military military bases were to blame. While there's a law banning personal firearms on military bases, armed personnel were on guard at the time of the shooting. On September 17th, gun control activists and related victims of shootings that occurred at Sandy Hook Elementary School, Aurora, Colorado, and the Oak Creek, Wisconsin, Wisconsin Sikh Temple, went to Washington to protest, protest for stricter gun control. The activists said that they hoped that due to the Navy Yard's proximity to Capitol Hill, that it would motivate lawmakers to act to impose stricter background checks and prevent loopholes that enable people to purchase guns at gun shows without any background checks. And that was the Washington Navy Yard shooting. Jesus. Yeah. I don't get shooters. I don't either. I just Mass don't. shooters, I don't understand. Yeah, I don't get it. I mean, I don't get a lot of this stuff, but. <laughs> right. But like with Ramirez, you see like, I mean, it's a mental, this guy has a mental illness. Yeah. It's a. Right. But I don't get it manifesting that way, mm-hmm. I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I don't get like, say, I'm assuming what happened was, you know, happens what people assume, make ass out of you and me. Oh. But I'm assuming what happened. Is he had a mental break, and yeah. and just was like woke up that day or a couple of days before because I mean he went to Washington Washington to see mm-hmm. DC but I guess he was working but regardless he woke up that day and was like here we go mm-hmm. you know and just like Ch-ch-ch. I also don't understand like that one as tragic as it is it didn't last that long right but like the ones that last a long time mm-hmm. I don't understand how they don't snap out of it at some point. And are like, oh my God, what, what the have fuck I done? is happening? What a, yeah. <sighs> Maybe that's why they all killed themselves. It must be. I mean, there's what, like, there's I mean, like I a handful of them that have not yeah. and have been like taken alive. Yeah. But, oh my God. I mean, even if I wasn't like, for whatever reason, taken to jail or whatever, mm-hmm. I'd still, I'd, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. 
And like, I can't imagine any of this. My ex-husband is a veteran and goes to the VA and Mm -hmm. like his friend group for quite some time was all just army guys and that sort of thing. So I have a lot of experience around those types of men. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I'm sure I've told you this. I don't know that I've said it on our podcast, but we were at the VA emergency room once. Mm -hmm. And like while we had been in the waiting room chit chatting with some dude and then we went back and I don't remember what I was there with him for. And then... Within, like, I don't know, 45 minutes, here comes that guy we were chit-chatting with with a pen sticking out of his fucking throat mm. where he had stabbed himself in the throat That's in the waiting room. Wow. Like, okay. I don't know. Ugh. I don't know. Yeah. Stuff gets slipped through the cracks. Mm-hmm. Not saying that's what happened in this case. I'm sure he had excellent health care. <laughs> I mean, he was going to the VA. Yeah. I mean, at least he was going. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, that's sometimes the hardest thing is to get them to go to the VA. Mm-hmm. So, anyway. So, yeah, that was that one. I did find some other stories, so I'm, like, kind of stocked up on stories. But I also mm. want suggestions because mm-hmm. they're, like, not ones that I'm, like, super passionate about. I like getting into a story and being like, oh, yeah. 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 I feel like not this week, but last week I was like that. Mm-hmm. Um the past couple weeks, I've been like that. This one was kind of like, hmm. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. And it's um, different. My daughter wants me to do a conspiracy theory. Mm. She wants me to do the Malaysian flight. So I think that's next week. Oh. Yeah. That'll be good. Yeah. I'm excited. I like that. <laughs> All right. Well. Oh, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in next week. We're going to talk about conspiracy theories. Hmm. I don't, what was I going with? What noise was that? I don't know, but I liked it.